Hello and welcome to the H.P. Lovecraft Book Club, a podcast series in which I'll be going through all of H.P. Lovecraft's writings in some degree, uh, not just his fiction, but also his uh, nonfiction writing and some of his letters. So um, we are in a right now we're going to be looking at the nonfiction writings and the poetry written before 1920 or so. In the previous episode, I looked at his letters uh, pretty much from from 1915 to to 24, just because that's the, the the dates on that first volume of his selected letters. Um, but large, I'm going to try to stick to the writings he made before uh, before 1920, and uh, I got a short series looking into that. And I kind of broke up these writings into into various subsets. Um, I'm not sure how much interest there is in digging too deeply into this, so it's going to be a briefer series. Um, I'll, I'll kind of take these tangential writings and the letters a little bit more seriously in the future. But I do want to mention these. And what I did is I broke it up into different themes. And so, uh, well, the theme I want to look at today is astronomy and, and, and science, but really his view of science via astronomy. Um, a lot of people have made the correct observation that Lovecraft's views about about humanity's place in the universe are really core to his 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 original contribution to weird fiction, right? Especially like this idea of an indifferent universe, the insignificance of humanity in the face of these outer gods and and monsters and and you know uh, other planets. Um, a lot of his work kind of has that science fiction element. Things like Whisper in Darkness and Color Out of Space kind of really are great examples of of him going into science fiction. Some of his early stories were science fiction. We looked at, for instance, Beyond the Wall of Sleep, which is a science fiction story exploring um, beings from basically another time and place, taking over the minds of, of individuals, a theme he will never really shy away from. He'll, he'll explore it again in a lot of detail in one of his last stories, um, Sh Shadow at a Time. So um, it's notable that Lovecraft in his younger years, in his 20s, was very, very interested in amateur astronomy. And he actually wrote on it and published on amateur astronomy. So um, what I want to like focus on here, and, and mostly this episode will just be to introduce this to you. And uh, you can find it, you can find these online. Um, I got this from the, the podcaster SFF Audio, which is a really great podcast looking at science and fantasy. Um, and, and doing deep readings of, of stories while also adding audio book versions of those to the, to the analysis. So it's a great podcast where you can like listen to the story first and then, and then um, hear what other people have to say about it. So uh, through that podcast, I think it's on their website, um, I was able to get this um, column that he wrote in the Asheville Gazette News. So this is like a local newspaper. And Lovecraft wrote a 14-part series called The Mysteries of the Heavens. And the first edition of this was in February 16th, 1915. And he published these in numerous parts until, until March 27th. So um, was it every other day? I guess that, that sounds about right. Um, so it's, it's a nice little series. I think if, if you took like a college astronomy class or even if you maybe even high school level astronomy 
um, even just basic knowledge. A lot of this is probably not new. Of course, he's building off the science of, of the time. So there's been a lot of discoveries since then. But I want to talk about, because he does also mention important things that suggest his scientific perspective and how it informs his, his fiction writing. For instance, if we look at the very first part uh, of Mysteries of the Heavens, uh, Lovecraft wrote this. Um, astronomy, the oldest of all the sciences, is that branch of knowledge which treats the heavenly bodies, their size, distances, motions, relations, and physical conditions. The name is derived from the Greek word astron, a star, and nomos of law. Of the various studies pursued by mankind, none is better adapted to furnish to its followers a rational and intellectual species of enjoyment than this sublime science for its grandeur and beauty of its objects, the simplicity and directness of their observation, and the broad conception of the universe obtained from the contemplation whereby our seemingly boundless earth is relegated to its proper insignificance in the vast system of infinity, all afford to the active and reflective mind and exercise in the most refreshing and pleasurable characters. Astronomy is likewise of great practical use to the human race for its aid in the size and figures of the earth are measured, ships are guided from port to port, blah, blah, blah. And then he goes into some of the applications of astronomy, which I'm sure you are mostly aware of. But notice he doesn't like tie it directly. He doesn't you know, like talk about you know outer gods or anything here. But he is saying astronomy teaches us that we are insignificant, right? And this is, of course, not new. This is why the Copernican revolution is considered so significant in the history of science. It's because Copernicus established that the universe or humans aren't the center of the solar system and therefore probably not the center necessarily of the universe. Now, theologians could still at the same time say, well, humanity is still special in that, but the, the scientific evidence is that the earth at the very least wasn't the center of, of the universe. There's a broader world out there um, and a broader universe. And it, it did start to cast doubt on the place of humanity in the universe. And that's certainly something Lovecraft holds very strongly um, in his in, in all of his writings. Now, beyond that, I, I can't say there's too much here that is very important for it's not like a skeleton key to Lovecraft's work in any sense. It's just a, a consistency between his fiction writing, his, the stuff you see in his letters. And I talked about a couple letters where he mentions uh, modern scientific views about humanity and the universe and evolution. When I looked at the letters, the, some of the ideas he shared with his his friends. I mean, this series essentially is of interest because of, of who the author is. Um, I think on its surface, it's basically an introductory astronomy course. It would be like the a summation almost of, a, of an astronomy textbook. You actually don't even see much evidence here of him actually engaging in the amateur astronomy he's known for. I don't know how much time he, he did spend looking at the, at the stars, but a lot of this stuff he probably was able to pull off out of, out of, out of various books he was, he was reading on the t topic. Um, but I think he's, he's right that, well, one thing that interests me here is his statement that astronomy is the oldest of the sciences, which I think is true. It's also probably the oldest religion. In a sense, when people looked for explanations of how the universe worked, the stars provided answers. The stars had a, there's a, a regular pattern to the stars. There was the cycles of the, you know, the, the days, the sun moving across a pretty predictable um, trajectory across the sky at different times of the year. There was 
the motion of stars and the motions of the planets were the least um, predictable for pre-modern people, um, but and prehistoric people for that matter, but it provided a regularity that could be used to explain other less predictable, the more randomness, you know, ask the more random aspects of life, whether it's the, the herds, the weather, uh, storms. And, and it's not surprising, of course, that things like comets, things that disrupted the, the regularity of, of astronomy often were seen as cataclysmic events. And uh, of course, you want to read the short story by Isaac Asimov, Night, Nightfall, for a reminder of, of how powerful the, the night sky could be for, for people. Um, so the first uh, part, is it, he talks about this kind of general picture of astronomy, and then he goes into the nature of the heavenly bodies, which is really the uh, how we observe it. And, and this is kind of really where the amateur astronomer, uh, kind of how they experience it, whether it's the Paleolithic hunter-gatherer or, or the contemporary person just looking at the night sky. And he describes how it's seen and, and the shape of, of the cosmos from our human perspective. Uh, in the second issue of this, which was, well, it was March, it was February 20th, so it was three, four days later. I don't think we need the dates for this, just they were all published um, in, the, in the spring of, of 1915. Um, so the second um, article here, column, I should say, the second column is, uh, is a description of the solar system and uh, the eight planets at the time. They only had the eight that they knew Pluto was identified much, um, much later. Um, so we just get the description of what they're made of, their sizes, their apparent emotion. So again, he kind of human centers it. And, and I think that's, a, of course, one of the cool things about astronomy is there's how we perceive the universe and there's what it really is. Like from our perspective, the stars are, are small and of course they're quite large. From our perspective, the planets move in a particular way, but in reality, they that's not how they move. It's just how we perceive them from our position in the universe. So one of the best descriptions I ever heard of astronomy is it's kind of like describing a city when you can only look out the window of your of your your apartment in a city or something. And, all, and you're trying to describe the whole city from that one vantage point and, and picking up what evidence you can um, to, to do that. And if you see yourself as the center of the city, that's going to shape how you describe what goes on around you. Uh, he has a little bit here on the Zodiac as well, which I doubt he puts too much credence in, but uh, as, as far as popular astronomy, the Zodiac, of course, is very key in how we interpret it. So there's a, a, a lot of back and forth here in, in our perception of it and its reality, which uh, he, he, he then explains. Uh, part three uh, is about the sun. Part four looks at uh, what he calls the inferior planets, Mercury and Venus. Um, part five studies eclipses. So let's uh, take a closer look at that. That might be interesting. Now, the science he describes here is, is pretty basic, and, and you should probably know it. Um, he describes both lunar and solar eclipses. But, you know, this would have been one of the earliest astronomical anomalies that, that people would have experienced. One of those first disruptions in, in how we experience the universe. Um, and, and I think that's one way of looking at like all of Lovecraft's fiction is a disruption in 
what's predictable and normal, at least especially the cosmic horror they describe. That's what cosmic horror is. It's our perception of the universe changed radically by a, by a single event. And, and one of the first to do that would have been eclipses for, for people, comets as well. Um, but eclipses, he, he writes, first of all, astronomical events to be recorded and transmitted in writing to posterity were eclipses, those seemingly miraculous occurrences of the two great natural luminaries, the sun and the moon. The total and unexpected blotting out of the light of the day must have been to anyone a source of awe, whence it is but natural that early nations following systems of natural theology and attributing all events to the direct, to the direct action of various benign or malevolent deities regarding eclipses, particularly total eclipses of the sun as direful portents and derive from them the most profound trepidation. The prevailing view was, and still is among uncultivated races, that the sun, when eclipsed, is being devoured by a black and frightful monster who must be seared away by means of loud clamor and harsh noises, else he, would be con he will consume the source of all the light of the day and plunge the world into a state of perpetual night. Accordingly, savage tribes raise a terrific din, both voice and with primitive drama upon the advent of these phenomenons. So that's a, a nice description. I don't know where he gets his anthropological evidence from. He's probably, you know, obviously we know Lovecraft's views of, of, of non-whites and so-called primitive civilizations. Um, and it's exposed here a little bit. Um, but, that, I mean, it's kind of a common assumption that people without a scientific background would have observed something like eclipses with a bit of horror. And I, I think it's not unrealistic to... I believe that there's some truth to that. Um, not really a racial thing, just a, about science, about how much is known about the universe. The next one is about the moon and the earth. Uh, he doesn't actually say that much about the earth. He sort of just ignores it because that's, um, I guess, not part so much of astronomy. But he does spend a lot of time on the moon, particularly the phases of the moon and the, that experience of the moon. And any of you who read his work know he's... Uh, you got to, if you want to read Lovecraft's work, you got to kind of look up your your vocabulary on the phases of the moon. You know, gibbous moon, harvest moon, hunter's moon, all that, and and it's it's useful to know when you pick up his work because he often mentions the moon uh, in his in his writing. Um, but again, another thing that people in pre-modern cultures would have would have put a lot of of weight on uh, the the phases of the moon, uh, a lot of cultural importance to it. Um, part seven is called Mars and the Asteroids. Now it seems, I don't know so much about the history of astronomy in this period, but it seems a lot of, a lot was being learned about the asteroids at that time because he starts to talk about how we, we know a little bit more about the, the nature of the asteroids and we're able to identify a few more of them and give them names. Um, part eight is about uh, Jupiter and Saturn. So it's the, the outer planets. Um, part nine deals with comets. Part nine is comets in meteorites. And this is a, a long one. It's actually the only one so far that crosses over into two, into two pages. But it was all on the same issue of, of the Asheville Gaz Gazette News. And here we have, of course, something else that would have been portentous for pre-modern societies. I guess that's, that's kind of what I want to get at when I think about this is, you know, a lot of Lovecraft's work is going to be, is about like vernacular knowledge and, 
and kind of grassroots networks of knowledge versus elite knowledge in books stored away at Miskatonic University. But then it's always contrasted or fought with more vernacular understandings of knowledge. So one reason I like the Dunwich Horror so much is it's really a clash between a vernacular tradition and a, and a more elite tradition and two different attitudes to what should be done to the realization of our place in the universe. Um, the attitude of the library is lock up the Necronomicon, protect it, you know, don't let it get out. And then the Watleys in Dunwich are, are actually pushing for using that, that power. And it's, but before they get to the Necronomicon, they already have their own kind of local traditions about it. Um, he says this about comets. In ancient times, no portent was regarded as more dreadful than the advent of a great comet. With its fiery head and sweeping tail, extracts from all poetical writings reveal the tendency of untutored man to associate these refugent uh, celestial wanderers with the severest calamities to nations and princes. But intellectual enlightenment has brought about a change in our attitude. Um, obviously, the nature of comets was established, was well known by the, I think the 17th century, Haley and them um part 10 is called uh the stars and it's his description of of those uh part 11 clusters and nebulae and the milky way just kind of go through the other sections before i finish up my thoughts here Part 12 is called the constellations. There we were kind of back to more vernacular knowledge. Obviously, constellations are totally human-made uh, understandings of, of the cosmos uh, tied to the zodiac. We put a lot of weight in it. There, he actually mentions here that they're, they're kind of scientifically insignificant outside as being, you know, land, like, part of, like landmarks in the, in the map of the sky. Part 13 is on technology. It looks at telescopes and observatories, how we get to know about the, the, about the stars. And here we actually see him doing some really good work and just teaching people how to use telescopes, how to mount them, what type of telescopes you might want to use, and kind of encouraging people to explore the universe themselves. Um, and that's actually over two pages too. And the final part, the final, uh, issue is about the rings of, of Saturn, Uranus, and, and Neptune. So anyways, that's what you get with uh, The Mysteries of the Heavens by H.P. Lovecraft. Uh, if you put it together, it's, it's a fairly lengthy work. I mean, it's a, it would be, it still holds up, I think, as a nice introduction to the basics of astronomy, the solar system, uh, different heavenly bodies, um, and something that would have been very useful, I think, to amateur astronomers at the time. Um, as for how it helps us understand Lovecraft, well, I think he's very honest about why we see here why he likes astronomy and why astronomy is understanding his relationship to astronomy is so key to understanding his overall vision of cosmic horror. So um, that's it. That's uh, all I want to really say about this, this interesting kind of contribution of Lovecraft to, to popular science. Um, just a local newspaper, but it's accessible and you can read it and, and add it to your, to your Lovecraft collection. So we're not just limited to the stories. I think that's one of the, uh, you know, a lot of people have talked about Lovecraft stories and a lot, you know, many people have read them and, and analyzed them, but um, there's, always, there's so much external work outside of the stories that um, we're not limited in, in that there's a 
there's much more just in the letters, for instance, than in all of the stories put together. Uh, you got the the revisions, which many people haven't haven't read. So we're going to get to all this stuff um, over the course of this podcast. So if anyone has any other Lovecraft works, you know, that they come across any like newspaper articles or something like that, you know, let me know and I will try to throw them into the podcast. Even if I come across them later, I may, you know, go back to them because if if you wrote something, I'm interested in, in talking about it. I've collected as much as I could, but um, there's probably going to be gaps just because he was so prolific outside of his his stories. So that's going to be it for now. If you have anything more to say about Lovecraft's amateur astronomy, let me know. Send me an email at 100pagescast at gmail.com. In the next episode, I will be looking at Lovecraft's temperance writings from his from the, the early 20th century. Uh, there's a handful of articles we'll, we'll look at. So um, I look forward to talking about that with you. I already, and as, and as a preview for that, if you haven't already listened, uh, check out my episode on old bugs, which is his one temperance uh, story uh, that he wrote, I don't know, 1918, 1919, sometime like that. Uh, before Prohibition was, it was enacted, I believe. It's kind of a bit of a science fiction story being set in 1915. Um, so uh, that's it for now. I'll see you next time um, when we start to look at temperance. <laughs>